Now, we've talked here and there about a, a certain topic called God, why? Why do bad things happen to good people? It's the sovereignty of God versus faith from a human. How do they work together? How does this earth life happen between God and man? You need to know that it's not all up to God. Your life is not all up to God. So you can't just run around saying God's in control, God's in control, God's in control, God's in control, good thing, God's in control, bad thing, God's in control. He's just in control. He's in control of everything. You can't run around like that. That's not how the Bible says it, ever. There is no pattern like that in the Bible. There's no attitude of God's people saying that all the time. It was always, what has he said for me? What has he ordained? What has he called? What has he commanded? That's what we'll do. What has he promised? That's what we'll receive. Never forget the word from God because faith in his word is how we receive miracles from God. So there's a whole element of things that help uh, 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 understand theodicy, which is vindicating God when it comes to evil. Every human has that question. If God is so good, then how come all these things? Why is the world so wild if God is in control? Well, you just answered your question. He's not. Because God is perfect, he is love, he is holy, and he is good. And he is not the causer of this twisted world. So you got to get that straight. And you got to answer all the tough questions. Because as we tell new Christians to start reading your Bible. Start reading your Bible. If you're a new believer, read your Bible. And then we more particularly say, start in the New Testament, please. Don't start in the old. Don't start on page one. Start on... Page one of the New Testament, or you, you'll get bogged down. You, you'll, oh my, oh, it'll just feel strange because life felt strange before Jesus. This world was in total darkness until the light came. Jesus is the light of the world. Until the light of the world came, the whole world lied in darkness. And it was desperate, and it was dry, and it was hard. And it was depressing. And there was no born-again person before Jesus. So no one lit up to God like we can. So you got to realize this. Don't start in the Old Testament. It's good you're going to read at some point. Start in the New Testament so you can find out who you are in Christ, what salvation actually means for you. Jesus brought us victory. He brought us victory from all the things they couldn't overcome in the Old Testament. From all the dry, desperate journeyings through the wilderness. He brought us through that. You should not be experiencing wildernesses. I said, you should not be experiencing wildernesses. If so, you have missed something regarding Jesus Christ, the Holy Ghost, the power of God, the love of God, and the new covenant. His blood has helped you and exempted you and it escaped you from the wildernesses. Well, God's got me going through the wilderness. He's just, I've just been going through the wilderness. I just, well, there is no term like that in the New Testament. Old Testament, they went through the wilderness because they disobeyed and they didn't believe God. New Testament, you cannot keep saying that. We cannot let you say that. So punch your neighbor and say, don't ever say that again. It's a big deal. Listen, it's a big deal because if you, if you keep expecting wildernesses, you've forgotten the cross. 
There's only two wildernesses. This is a pop quiz because we've already covered this. There's only two types of wilderness. One is what Israel went through for 40 years. Now, is that what you're talking about? Where you're just tramping through the dry desert, waiting for the promised land to come, waiting for God to get in a good mood, waiting for something else to happen? No, that wilderness happened because they disobeyed God. They didn't believe he would give them the promised land. They saw giants, they fainted, and he said, okay, you're going to have to die in the wilderness. So if you're in that type of a wilderness, you're in trouble. The only other type of wilderness described in the Bible is when Jesus went to the wilderness for 40 days to fast and pray. And during that time, he wasn't dry and desperate and complaining about it. He was getting strong in spirit. He was getting tough in the spirit. He was overcoming the devil's temptation just with one scripture. Listen, if you go out for 40 days and seek the Lord, man, the devil won't even have any place in you. You'll just, ah, boom, one scripture, one scripture. So don't be complaining. If you're complaining about a wilderness, it's your fault. But that's just some of the there's, there's bad habits. Listen, Christians just have bad habits. And you got them from somebody else. Christians repeat non-scriptural things. And you, got, you didn't just dream it up. You got it from somebody else. I'm here to stop that. I'm here to crush that. I have a, I have a gavel, a judge gavel in my office somebody bought me. I should have brought it out. Actually, I used to talk about gonging bad doctrine. How many of you old timers remember the gong show? And so an entertainer would come out and do their thing. And if it was good, they got applause. And if it was bad, right in the middle of it, one of the judges would go over and hit the big gong. Boom. And it would gong them. That's what we need in the church. A big gong. So when wrong things are said or preached... I'll gong, you can't gong me. I will gong the bad doctrine. Some of you were thinking, yeah, yeah, we need to gong the pastor. No, not for you. It'll be up here. Years ago, somebody bought me a, a little gong. It was about this big, a little bong. I still have it in my office. Just to remind myself that bad doctrine needs to be gonged. Because what it'll do is it'll rob you of your faith. Just when you think you're confident toward God and your prayers are about to get answered, uh, some little tiny fox will spoil the vine. Some little question, some little passage I just read doesn't make sense together. That kind of threw me. Well, you need to go through the scripture and get all those figured out. When you start reading your Bible, or when we say start reading your Bible, you also need to start getting taught. Jesus didn't just give a Bible to the whole world. He gave preachers and teachers. He gave gifts to men to help you learn the Bible, to help you learn God's word. He didn't just do it with you and God alone. No, it was you and God and the whole family of God together are going to learn and grow up in Christ. And so you got to get your Bible education sorted out. You got to study to show yourself approved unto God. The Bible says the man of God should study to show himself approved unto God. Well, you may not think you're a man of God, but if you're a man, you're a man of God. Amen. And if you're a woman, you're a woman of God. 
The days are over when we just let the professional seminary type preachers and pastors be the people of God. No, no, no. You're the people of God. And you got to decide, you know what? As a person of God, I better pull my pants all the way up. As a man of God, I better know some things. As a woman of God, I better get this thing straight. I don't want to be a doofus. Praise the Lord. You know, the, 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 the word idiot is in the Bible. It's a Greek word, idios, idiot. It's in there. <laughs> Praise the Lord. All right. So when you start learning some of these things, uh, you've got to realize that God is sovereign. He's all powerful. Yes. But sovereignty doesn't mean that he's doing everything to everybody that every event is his doing. That's not, how it, that's not what sovereignty means. So don't just create a black hole and say, well, oh, God is sovereign. So-and-so, you know, got their leg chopped off at the wherever. Uh, we don't know why. God is sovereign. He had a reason. He's going to use that for his glory. He will use it for his glory. But don't you dare insinuate that he caused that. So when you start talking about it like that, you have to recognize there's a human element called faith. Humans have a part to play. We have to crop, cooperate with God's will. So this is just a review, but you, you have to learn how the, the, we have our part to play, that divine providence works together with human cooperation. What God wants and plans and wills must agree with, let's look at it as a balance. What God wills and what humans understand and believe about his will must balance. For there to be any power, any miracle, what God wants and what we believe must come into balance. Make sense? All right, so you got to learn faith. You got to learn faith. Learn, you got to learn what faith is. You got to learn how it works, what it looks like, learn how it feels, learn how to use your faith. I'm not talking about just learn Christianity. Yeah, you need to learn Christianity, but more specifically, learn what it means to believe God. Believing God is different than believing in God. You got to learn how to believe God. How do I believe what he said? What does it mean to believe God? It means to believe his word, his will, his person. And there's lots to learn about that. It'll only take you about two years in a Bible school to learn that kind of stuff. At least you'll have a foundation. Then it'll take you another 20 years to sort it all out. But this is the end times. You got to, we're going to have to do it faster, talk faster, expect to learn it quicker. You don't have 15 years to sort this out. You're going to go through way too much rocky road in 15 years. You need answers for every rock. You got to learn faith. You got to learn stuff like faith without works is dead. I know you believe God. I know you believe his word. I know you adhere to the scripture. I know you got them posted all over your house. I know you got them on your computer. You're seeing scripture and you're saying, yes, I believe that. But faith, belief in that, Without works is dead. So you can't just believe that and, yep, check mark, believe that. You have to have some action behind it. If you really believe it, you will do it. You will see it. You will act. There will be some corresponding action to what you believe. Isn't that right? How many believe in coming to church on Sunday? All those who are here. How many of you believe in keeping your kitchen clean? All those who have a clean kitchen. Y'all can test yourselves. Go home with the family. 
Y'all decide for yourself if you believe that your kitchen's clean. If you believe your kitchen's supposed to be clean, it's clean. And if if it still looks like last night, you don't believe it. And I really don't care what you do with your kitchen. It's just a way for you to examine whether you believe something or not. If I believe that God meets my needs, then I examine to see if I'm worried. And if I'm worried, I don't believe it. If I believe God will answer my prayer, I am so confident and excited after I pray. Simple. If I'm not excited after I pray, I didn't believe it. I wished it real hard. I hoped it out loud. I begged God and cried out. But if I'm not excited after my prayer, then I don't really have confidence he's answering. So faith has to have some action to it. It has to have a corresponding result. So simple. It just ain't easy. It's not easy because you're a human and you got this brain up here. You got this brain full of stuff that you got to sort out and let God's word knock that out. You got to learn stuff like uh, fear will flat out kill your faith. Fear will paralyze like a snake bite. It will paralyze your faith. If you have fear, your faith is dead. I said, if you have fear, your faith is dead. Faith without works is dead. If you detect fear, your faith is dead. And this works in every realm. Just talk about money. If you have dread and worry about money, uh, that's fear. And therefore, God's not involved in your money. If you have fear about physical ailment or healing, sickness, disease, if you have fear, your faith ain't working. If you're in the middle of a big crisis and you have a lot of fear and you're trying to pray and trying to pray, but you detect that you have a lot of worry and fear and, oh, oh my gosh. If you feel like that, you better get to the doctor quick. You better turn your switch of faith on for the doctor and go now. Okay? Because if you have fear, your faith toward God isn't going to work. Now, when, you, when it comes to things like that, you need the Holy Spirit to help you. I mean, the Holy Spirit might say, get your Bible open now, quickly. And he read the scripture and believe it. And maybe he can lead you into faith. That's one of his roles is to lead you into trust rather than fear and worry and dread. So the Holy Spirit's very important in your quest for victory, whether it's financial or relational or, or health. I mean, this even works for like relationship stuff. If, you, if you're a single person who wants to be married and you got your calendar out, you got your watch out and you're thinking, man, my, my biological clock. That's fear. Now you've got some dread and some, you know, calendar setting. You're going to have to throw away the calendar when it comes to God. Because if you're going to put God in a calendar, he's just going to bust it. So you have to recognize if you're trusting God and believing God and desire a spouse, you're going to have to find a way to get free from the fear of not having one. You're going to have to cast all your care upon the Lord. You're going to have to ask him, trust him, believe him, and not take any more thought again for at least a month. Or a year, and then two years. And what if it hadn't happened after three? Three years, and not even worry about it for four years, and five years, and six years, and six years, that just ruins everything. 
And that's where your faith just failed. Your faith just failed. Now you're so scared of what might not happen. You're going to have to get to a place where I don't even care. Same thing with healing. You got to get to the place of, you know what? If I, if, if I didn't really get there and I died and went to heaven to be with Jesus, that's good. I'm not saying go to be with Jesus early. I'm just saying make your soul get over the death factor. Otherwise, it's too scary. The whole process is too scary if you're worried about yourself going to heaven. What a terrible. Or you're worried about your family. What are they going to do? Cut that stuff out. It's robbed so many people of miracles. So you got to learn this stuff. Now, I'm just doing a little surface to help you recognize how many doors there are to go figure these answers out rather than just throw it to God. Say, well, God had a reason. Everything happens for a reason. I don't know why I didn't get the prayer answer yet. I guess he wanted me to live on the street for a while. I was asking him for a job, but I guess he had a reason. I got to go lead people to Christ on the street. If, he, if you think he's calling you to go lead homeless people to the Lord, do it now while you have a job. Don't make him, don't act like he's got to ruin your life before you can go lead someone to Christ. People have done that with health and healing. Well, you know, I, had, I was in the hospital for three months, but I know God put me there so I could lead the nurse to Jesus. She got saved. Praise the Lord. Look, praise the Lord she got saved. But if you think you have a hospital ministry, go there before you're sick. And really, and really you, you wouldn't even have to go to the hospital uh, to lead people to Christ if the Christians employees at the hospital would do their job. Don't worry, I'm going to get you. So one way or the other, I'm going to get everybody in here. Come on, this is how you, this is how you fill up all the cracks. Uh, the concrete has holes. Let's fill it. The, the road is all paved, but it's got all these potholes. Let's fill these potholes up so we can have a smooth ride. Because you're going to be smooth riding for a few months, and then something's going to come up. And you, you need to have the right answers to all the questions that come. So anyway, here's another one. Matthew 14. Uh, verse 20, Matthew 14, 24, Matthew 14, 24, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea tossed by the waves for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer. It is I do not be afraid. He's got to deal with fear every time people come to him. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out to the water. And so he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, oh, Peter, you're so confident and bold. What courage you had to step out of that boat when none of your friends would do it. You would think that Jesus would applaud the second man in the whole earth to ever walk on water. At least for his courage. At least to elevate him above the others. But he didn't. He rebuked him. He pointed out his failure. It's not fair. Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? 
You need to know the answer. Why did Jesus rebuke him instead of applaud him? It goes right along this same line. Why did he rebuke his lack of faith instead of applauding for his little faith? Because if you want a miracle, you're going to have to believe God all the way. Listen, Jesus expects you to trust him 100% all the way. And if you stop short, what's he going to say to you? Oh, I love you anyway here. Peter did not get to continue the miracle. He got rescued, but he did not get to continue the miracle. Jesus saying that to everybody. You need to, you need to know that he's going to rebuke our lack of faith if we can't get there. Everybody's always enthused about that. They just love that part. Everybody just loves that part. But this is how serious, how important, how essential faith toward God is. Faith toward God requires you believe him a hundred percent all the way till the miracle occurs. This is not just all up to God. If it was all up to to God, Jesus would have just made it happen. It would just be a little joke, a little game, a little, okay, come on, come on, I'm Jesus. So you can't look at God and say, well, how come God, did, he, he should have just overridden everybody's faith. He, I mean, doubt. He should have just overridden, he knows, he knows how frail we are. He, he should just override it and do the miracle anyway. He won't. He won't. He just, it's just not the way he does it. It's not the way that the faith system works. It's not the way that the law of faith works. The law of faith requires a human in the earth to trust fully before God's hand of power can stretch in and do a miracle. It just is the way it is. The law of faith says a human must cooperate with God's will. And it has to do with God's involvement in the earth where he was basically kicked out of our domestic involvement. When Adam and Eve disobeyed, God left. That was the Okay, we're shutting the door on the Garden of Eden. I can't come walk with you. You've shut me out. So in order for God to come back in and have a life with us, an involvement, he needs our faith. You got to believe his word. Jesus said that. Remember the father came with the devil-possessed son? And uh, Jesus said to the father, he said, if you can believe. He wanted his son to be delivered from a demon. Jesus said, if you can believe. All things are possible to him who believes. How come Jesus had to say that? Why did he have to put belief in there? Why didn't he just say, oh my gosh, somebody's in trouble. Let me get the devil out of this kid. No, he looked at the father and said, if you can believe. All things are possible to him who believes. So how many of you need a little help financially? God will help you if you can believe. And that's when the father said, help my unbelief. I think I'm believing as best I can. You got to go all the way to your limit, all the way to your limit. It was so loud in here earlier. Listen, it's, it's always, listen, it's always louder in church when we're telling you what God will do for you. God will bring you through. God will, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we say, uh, if. And the human says, oh, I didn't want to have anything to do with it. 
And notice with the fellow, we didn't read it, but Jesus said, if you can believe. He didn't say, if you obey all my commands. Like, if you're perfect, I'll get your son set free from the demon. No, no, it's not about being perfect. It's not about obedience. It's about you believing God in spite of your disobedience. In spite of you being imperfect, you got to learn how to believe God to get your miracle. And that's where the blood of Jesus comes in so that your heart can remain freed from sin and guilt. The blood of Jesus helps you feel free from sin and guilt so that you can trust God fully. Amen. Matthew 21. Matthew 21, verse 18 says, Now in the morning, Jesus, as he returned to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves and said to it, Let no, man, uh, let no fruit grow on you ever again. He, he wasn't real happy with the tree. That's what happened here. Immediately, the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did, how, soon, how did the fig tree wither away so soon? Now, Mark's gospel said it didn't wither away until the next day. It wasn't visibly withered until the next morning, and they saw it. Uh, so who's correct, Matthew or Mark? They're both correct. It's just that their definition of immediately is a little different. But here's what you have to recognize from it. Mark says that it was the next day when it was visibly dried up and they were alarmed and shocked like, wow, look what happened. Uh, this says immediately, so immediately could be within 24 hours. Your definition of immediately might be an hour. Some people's definition of immediately is like two seconds. And you got to be careful of that. We, we, we expect immediate results, but you cannot be moved if you didn't see a result in five seconds. Matter of fact, throw your mirror away for at least a week. Throw your bank, stop looking at your bank account for at least a week. Amen. Uh, you got to get your eyes and your, your eyes off the problem because that, all that does is breed discouragement and fear and doubt and worry. Right. Expect it to happen immediately. We're not talking about waiting forever. No, no, no. Don't be waiting forever. Amen. No, we're talking about expecting it now, but just recognize immediately is within the hour, but you wouldn't even know because you're not thinking about it. Right. Don't think about it for 24 hours. I've said, just go three days. I go, we go seven days. Go 10 days. That's it. 10 days limit. And I say 10 days because one of our uh, great preachers had a lot of miracles happen within 10 days. So just, just go for about 10 days. Don't think about it. Act like it's true. And you'll see more miracles in your life immediately. And then after 10 days, you come back, you say, immediately it was gone. You mean immediately before you took a step away from the altar? No, no. Immediately uh, before I... Uh, got another paycheck. Immediately, 10 days later, fine. Immediately, one day later. Just recognize it's supposed to happen pretty quickly. Now, if you're about to die, you need to cr crank back that time clock, right? Or if you're dead, need to be raised. We can't be waiting too long here. Because then you will stinketh. King, King James says, Lazarus stinketh. <laughs> but then Jesus, verse 21, he, said, he answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you'll not only do what's done to the fig tree, 
But also, if you say to the mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, you will receive. No, it didn't say that. It said, whatever things you ask in prayer, believing. Believing is stuck in there, isn't it? Whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you, you will receive. There's something about this believing. It's a huge word. It's a, it's a big word. It, it's a weighty word, believe. Whatever things you ask in prayer, believing. I mean, you got to believe. So as a believer... You need to make sure that you're instant, in season and out of season, ready to believe God. Always believing God. Staying fresh every day about some of these main things in your life. Anything you ask believing, you shall receive. If you've asked and didn't receive, you didn't believe. Everybody loves that part. That's the reason. How come God didn't answer? Eh, it's that part. It's that middle word. Good word. If you need help believing, we've got plenty of it. You're going to have to hear God's word, focus on God's word, meditate on God's word, practice God's word, step out on God's word, develop your faith, exercise your faith. I try to get the teenagers exercising their faith before they need a car. When they're 15 and a half and they've got their permit, I'm like, have you asked God for a car? What are they doing? They're relying on their parents. They're relying on nothing to get their car. So like, wait a second. This is a good chance for you to ask God. Yeah. And really don't start with that. Start with something else. Like I need birthday money or something. You've got to develop your faith or it won't, it won't be there when you need it. Praise the Lord. You got to believe, and, and, and part of it has to do with you just believing the seed. You got to believe that the kingdom of God is going to work like Jesus said it would. What do you mean? Well, Jesus said the kingdom of God is as if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise by day, sleep by night and rise by day. And he doesn't know how, but first the blade comes up, then the ear, and then the full corn in the ear. All he did was plant seed and go to bed and get up, and go to bed, and get up, and go to bed, and get up. And that miracle started happening. The miracle that was inside that seed he planted started happening, started growing, doing what it's supposed to do. And then he doesn't know how it works. You don't have to know how it works. But all you got to know is it's going to be time at some point to put that sickle in. So when do you put the sickle in? When you have full assurance of faith. When do you put the sickle in? When you know for sure. When do you put the sickle in and get your harvest? When you're confident. When do you get out of the wheelchair? When I know. You got to put the sickle in or you won't get the miracle. But it's there. You got to trust that the seed you sow. And I'm not talking about just money. I'm talking about words. The seed is the word of God. When you say the word, when you quote a scripture, when you declare a truth that God's told you to say, when you say it, that word, that sentence goes into the kingdom. And the kingdom's in here. That, that sentence goes into your spirit, into the kingdom of God. There's a seed in there. I just said it. Whew, a little scary to say it, but I just said it. But it's in there. Now you protect it. And you only say to affirm it. You re-say it. You only do things that would affirm that seed I just planted. Like if I'm going to say, by his stripes I'm healed. Okay, that's it. 
I'm deciding right now. I'm deciding. I'm protecting the seed. Tomorrow, I'm going to say it again. Tomorrow, the next day, I'm going to say it again. I'm going to water this thing. I'm, I'm by stripes. I'm healed. I'm healed. I'm healed. It might take 15 days. It might take 15 minutes. You've heard my story. When I was a kid, it took me about 20 minutes. When I was an adult, it took me three and a half hours. Three and a half hours. The miracle is inside that seed. What I say is going to produce a miracle. And we can take it even further. We do this in our healing school. We take it even further and show how to work miracles. If you're going to be a miracle worker for other people's sake, you're going to have to have great confidence in what you say so that God can honor it, so that he can answer exactly what you said from your spirit. I remember I was in uh, Harlem, New York, working with R.W. Schambach tent meetings, healing crusade for about 10 days. We would do these, and he would do these in the inner cities. And so I was in Harlem, New York, and during the day, we would take people out to the streets. We would train them how to heal the sick, how to lead people to Christ, and we would go out to the streets and practice. Sick people need the healing, and we need the practice. So we'd go out to the streets, and uh, so we're walking down, walking down Harlem, New York, and um, got to a street corner, and I noticed there was a, a group of about 10 or 15 people sitting on their cars and just kind of sitting at this, on the curb of this intersection. And uh, they, I could tell they were drinking, smoking, you know, they're just being street people and uh, party people, you know. <laughs> and um, I, I walk up and, and, and I had these flyers for the crusade. And so I began to hand out the flyers and I didn't say much. I said, hey, excuse me, everybody, let me give you one of these. And uh, as soon as they saw what it was, uh, they would start cussing and joking and, yeah, and, and you know, hollering and just making a fuss. And so I didn't say anything until they all got one. And I said, listen, listen, listen. Y'all can joke if you want to, but listen, I'm here to help you. If you need to be saved or healed by God or delivered, come to the meeting tonight and find me. God bless y'all. And I walked away and they're laughing and cussing and doing their thing, you know. Uh, it's hard to minister to inebriated people. Eh, that's okay. That's just how it is. So, so get them when they're only half inebriated and you'll have better success. success. <laughs> And if they're fully inebriated, shove some gospel literature in their back pocket for tomorrow morning. Okay. So I, I walk away from this group, and uh, I was about 20, 30 feet away, and I hear something behind me, and it's a fella, and he's hollering, whoa, wait, 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 wait. This fella comes running from the group. Whoa, 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 stop, 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 stop. And he, he comes and he says, forget them. I don't care about them. I need help. He said, I, he said I'm, I'm sick. He said, I got a back injury I've had. I'm 40 years old. I'm on drugs. I'm a drug addict. I'm not saved. I need help. I need to be delivered. Can you please help me? I said, absolutely. And I just stuck my finger at him. And I said, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I rebuke the devil off of you. I command all the infirmity out. I command the back healed. And, and that man stands there and he says, oh, 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 and he starts jumping up and down and twisting his back. He said, something has come all over me. And I had him confess Christ. He confessed Christ. He got saved. He's jumping up and down, hollering. And I said, well, come to the tent tonight and testify about it. So, so, you know, 60 seconds with the man. 60 seconds, maybe 120 seconds max with the man. Totally set free. Why'd that happen? I planted a seed. You have to understand how this worked. It wasn't just me going in there, can I pray for y'all? Can I pray for y'all? Can I pray for y'all? There's a power in a seed. Tell them what's going to happen. 
say. Just like you do when you lead someone to Christ. You tell them, if you pray this, God will save your soul. Isn't that what you say? That's a seed. That's one reason why it works so quickly. Plant the seed, have faith in the kingdom of God, and then his was the one that grew up. His seed sprouted and grew up, and I put the sickle in. Or he put the sickle in. It was the moment that faith arose. Isn't that exciting? We used to do this in other cities. We were in Chicago one time, and we, we had a loudspeaker on Angelo's van, my friend Angelo Metropolis, on his van, preaching the gospel, calling people down to the van to be healed or saved or whatever. And um, we were on this kind of, uh, kind of in the ghetto streets neighborhood, and uh, <clears throat> this lady comes up, kind of an older lady. Maybe, maybe she was uh, not that old, but she was half old. I'm trying to imagine, okay, how old am I? Can I say that they're old? But back then I was 30. She was old. You know, she was about your wife's age. No, no, I'm just kidding. But we prayed for her. She got healed. And there was somebody with her, maybe a couple people with her. And you know, there's people kind of walking outside their houses, hearing the loudspeaker. And we're just kind of driving real slow until somebody comes out. And, uh, you know, you could see that there was 15, 20, 25 people somewhere on the street. And somebody was with her and they got healed. And then so she turns out to be the street mama. And so she, she's all excited. She's all, she's touched. She's delivered. And she's like, you go tell him to come out. Go get so-and-so. Tell him to come out of the house. Go, go get Maria. Tell her to come out here. Go get Charlie. Tell him, tell him to come out here. Get them out of here. They can be healed too. Get them out here. She starts evangelizing the whole street. And so we had so many miracles that we started calling it drive-by healings. You, don't underestimate how this stuff works, okay? Now, it's hard to get the ball rolling sometimes, right? Like that was like a quick ball rolling. It's like if one person could get dramatically healed, then other people could come with expectancy. It's hard to like make that happen. Uh, only really God can do that. And so you just got to keep doing your part and keep trudging away and keep doing your part. Just like we do here at church. We're going to keep doing our thing. We're going to keep preaching the word of God. We're going to keep helping people get saved, healed, and delivered and filled with the Holy Ghost. And then at times there's going to be, there's going to be great balls of fire rolling. And we're expecting that there, there to be something really big roll in here. Like the Holy Ghost is going to open so many people at once that there's not going to be any blue chairs left. And so then we'll have the back, people that sit in the back, you're going to sit on the floor. You got to put in your dues, sit on the front or sit on the floor. No, just kidding. But that's how these things work. So we're trying to work with God. We're working with the kingdom of God. The key is you got to believe. Faith has a huge part to play in everything that anybody receives. Thank you for joining Pastors Chaz and Joni today from Houston Faith Church. If you're looking for a good home church in Houston, Texas, we'd like to invite you to be our guest anytime. What you'll find is that Houston Faith Church is highly committed to the Word of God, the love of God, and the Spirit-filled life and ministry that Jesus expects. We know that everyone wants to make a difference in this life, and that the Great Commission of the Lord Jesus Christ is the main thing for all of us. 
You'll find your purpose here and grow strong in faith at Houston Faith Church. Find more faith-building resources on our YouTube channel or subscribe to our free audio podcast. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. See you soon.